Welcome to Sammy and Scooby Talk Movies, the podcast where we break down what movies have to say about real-life issues. I'm Jake Skubish, and along with my co-host Sam Brodnax, we're going to be jumping into a batch of movies about income inequality here in Season 1. We're looking at dramas and comedies, old and new films, and trying to answer how these movies address income inequality differently and what these stories say about how we all think about the issue. Today we're discussing Sorry to Bother You, a bonkers comedy about an employee at a telemarketing company torn between unionizing with his coworkers for better wages and rising up the corporate ladder. Man, I'm just out here surviving. And what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Baby, baby, it will always matter. Thought you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, mother. Hey, Cash. How much longer I gotta wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you wanna hog it to yourself and your family and me and my family. Yeah. Cash is I'm your fucking uncle. I just really need a job. Forty on two. To the script. Hey, hello. Uh, Mr. Davison, cash the screen here. Sorry to bother. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. So, Sammy Boy, Sorry to Bother You is a wild, crazy satire, and it takes the issue of income inequality and labor rights and puts them way out there to this very extreme extent um, that without giving too much away even gets into some pretty wild sci-fi stuff. So my initial question for you is, do you think how far the satire goes takes away from how seriously the movie treats income inequality, or do you think it just makes the movie's arguments about it better or more interesting? I really like that question, because I was thinking about that the entire time while I was watching the movie. It gets so absurd at some points, and this is one of those movies where it's like, it's so good that I don't want to spoil anything, because I feel like watching it is part of, and seeing everything for the first time is part of what makes it so impactful. I remember I saw it in theaters on opening night, And people just did not know how to react to a lot of the scenes. (laughs) I think the scene that stuck out the most where the audience was just baffled was when he starts rapping at the party. I was was about to bring it up. I I was watching this movie alone in my bedroom, and I had to pause and look around as if I was surrounded by people. That was, yeah, what? What was the response like? I I think people just (laughs) didn't know whether to... They didn't know whether they were allowed to laugh or not. (laughs) Because it was kind of implicating them as well. Yeah, that's also another interesting angle to take. I feel like this movie, the examination of how race plays into it more blatantly than any of the other movies we talked about really before. Definitely. But I, I think that even though it's really absurd at some points, a lot of the really absurd parts of the movie are based a little in reality which made ma- for me made it stronger i don't know you'll definitely have to let me know how you feel about this because it was i'm still thinking about it i'm still like questioning if what i'm saying even like still stands but so many parts of it are so weird and out there but they're all based in some sort of el- truth or element that, that exists today it's just blown out of proportion and made very odd and 
accentuated. But how do you feel? Do you think it the absurd nature of portions of the film help amplify its message or take away from it? I think this movie was made for a very specific kind of audience, I think. It's a movie really for young people, and it kind of speaks the language of memes to a certain extent with the way the humor is organized. And I think that that kind of thing helped convey the message pretty well. I think there are certain points where the movie is definitely a little unfocused and it's just like kind of all over the place, but that might also just be the point of his style to a certain extent. What what were some of the, like, without getting into spoiler stuff, like what were some of the, like, absurd things that you thought helped the movie? I think, and then this is a really absurd point, but it comes later when they're depicting what popular TV has become. Yeah, and there's a scene where there's a show where people, and the sad thing is, I, well, I remember seeing the scene and I was like, oh, that, that could be popular right now, and does that, like, even exist? But it's just a show where people just get beat up. It's called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. Yes. <laughs> and old Danny Glover is a fan with a t-shirt. He's definitely a fan, and I think that that was a scene where first watch was like, what the heck? Like, it almost came off as, like, some dystopian show where the host was like, forced to smile and like yeah we're gonna show people beating up other people but that's something that i could totally see playing out and being really popular and that was also extremely absurd yeah i think the best parts of the satire are the ones where you could be like okay i can see that happening and i got the shit kicked out of me as something that's like i feel like it's just like two degrees from reality yes Um, yeah tom bergeron is like almost at that point or was yeah with, with the exception of, like, the biggest spoiler, which we won't get into, um, but even that one, even, even if it's questionable how believable it, it actually is to happen, you could see someone like Army, Her- Army Hammer's character being motivated to try to do something like that. Totally agree that, like, money-grubbing, I will do anything for profit. Like, motivation behind it? Could see that. Yeah, that, that, that reveal at the end, though... That, yeah, they lost me there. That was one of the moments where I was like, what's this went off the rails. Yeah, and I, I, I love how ambitious it is, but it is like taking the movie <laughs> in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm, De- definitely. I think once it hit that point, too, there were moments where I was, it just felt like it was a whole new movie. I wasn't even sure what they were commenting on. It just felt like there were some wild things happening, especially like the very, very end. So let's talk about, because the movie's, kind of in three different parts basically it's he's on the bottom as like a telemarketer then he rises to the top and then he kind of tries to be a better person again so with the first part so the main character is cash um he is living in his uncle's garage uh with his girlfriend named detroit that's lakeith stanfield and tessa thompson and he essentially doesn't have any money at all and he gets this uh, telemarketing job because they say they'll hire anyone. What, what were some of your thoughts on, on that stage of the movie and like what it, what it says about some of the things we're talking about? Yeah, first, I guess, Tessa Thompson and Lakeith Stanfield, fantastic. So good in this movie. Both of them were amazing. So I guess that was my first impression. It was like, okay, dang, this is great. But something that I was thinking about a lot, I think was... I guess it comes in the context of like the transition between one and two. But in the first couple of, in the first scene, I guess the thing that I got out of it most was because they focus more in the beginning on him and the kind of dynamic that he has going to the new job. 
they really dive into her and like how she does work with her art i guess in the second portion would you say yeah so i guess in the beginning a lot of the imagery and like things that happen occur at the job and there was so much it was just like the most stereotypical you get paid nothing we don't value you you are not an individual the motto literally is stick to the script like there is no sense of individuality whatsoever and that's i guess what i got out of the beginning the most is just they really set the tone for the environment for like a classic corporate job and like what exists for the normal average person um, who's not at the top and that really hit hard what did you what did you get i guess out of that first part yeah and speaking of like that stick to the script part before he starts the job he's having that conversation with detroit where he's he's basically like why does anything matter and she's like it always matters because it because it matters right now but he's, he's not really buying it and this the stick to the script mantra is kind of like it's kind of indicative of like this type of job can't really provide a sense of purpose because they don't let them be individual people they don't value them they make them pay for stuff out of the vending machines at their own office the coffee yeah um that was a sad scene yeah so so you get a sense of like in this system like how much they're just not treated as individual people yes totally agree with that and in the beginning, or I don't know if this is in the beginning, but they were talking later too, and he kept saying, like, even when he had the job, he had no purpose, but at least she had, as an artist, there was some sort of purpose behind her work. Like, she had something. Right. Whether it's, like, an actual job, or whether it's more of, like, this artistic passion of hers, they kind of view their purpose as being tied to, like, what they're doing for their work. Definitely, like, a product that they're making or producing for someone. Mm-hmm. So I guess a couple main things happen at the office. One is that Steven Yoon tries to start to get the workers to organize and unionize and try to get more, uh, better wages, essentially. And then the other is Danny Glover telling Cash to use his white voice on the phone to make more calls. So what, what, what were your thoughts on, on the introduction of those two <laughs> dynamics? The, the white voice scene might have been one of my favorite scenes of any movie in a while. The way they described it, too, because I had heard before people were talking about, they set the scene with uh, Cassius and he's trying to call people, and they do this really, really cool shooting method where when he calls people, they, like, transport him into their homes. And he's just calling them and trying to talk to them, you know, in his, like, regular voice, being, like, a kind, you know, human, and he's getting nothing at all. And then... Dumb, you know, Danny Glover like rolls back and he's like, hey, let me show you how it's done. And I had heard there was a description of like a white voice. So I was like, oh, OK. So, you know, he's just going to. And this is, I guess, where the first kind of implications of race come in. And they did it in a really interesting way where he's talking about like, you don't just talk like you're white. It's not like about that. You know, it's you talk like how they want to sound, how they should sound like your bills are paid. You know, you're about to go outside and walk into your Ferrari. You know, you don't have a care in the world. You know, everything's great. Everything's fine. You're relaxed. I thought they set that up really well and did it in a way that was, like, very intentional. Yeah, like, explicitly tying. Like, a lot, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of movies don't get it down to that level where it's, like, it's not just about, it's about, like, the psychology of it. Like, Danny Glover explains that, like, the idea of the white voice is not just about 
imitating a white person but sounding like you don't care and i thought that was interesting and I, it's also really it's it's really funny the way they do it uh with like literally dubbing over david cross's <laughs> voice <laughs> that was perfect yeah and then later in the show when he's like talking to his friends like that at a restaurant they like look at him and someone says man like it sounds like you're overdubbed and, like it doesn't sound like your voice yeah yeah <laughs> I I heard this interview with Boots Riley where he said that he like ran into David Cross on the street and he was like not getting the movie made and then he he showed the script to David Cross and he was like this is the best fucking thing I've ever read and that like helped it get made. Oh my gosh, well, that speaks I guess not to the white voice but you know. That's true, yeah. Yeah, dang, I agree with you completely though. That scene was just done really well. So at the same time that that voice is helping Cash sell a lot more on the phone and throughout that process they're kind of like the whole thing is predicated on them like dangling this carrot in front of him like you could be a power caller you could be a power caller and there's all these incentives to to keep moving up and at the same time that's that's happening and he's potentially setting himself to make up to make more money that they're trying to unionize the workers and so then that's where the conflict for him starts to come into place definitely and they set it up interestingly too because in the beginning his uncle who's played by terry cruz they find out i guess over time that essentially he is going to get his house taken and most of his belongings taken because he's in a lot of debt and so cassius is like in this position of should i and this is something that really stuck with me throughout the entire movie the idea of like how much you sacrifice of your own personal well-being and not even well-being i guess but more of your personal wealth to fight for something that you really believe in. And they really dove into that a lot. That was really deep into the into these scenes when Steven Yeun started the protesting as Cassius was developing his white voice. That's that's the idea that comes in with some of the most interesting scenes with him, with Cash in Detroit, where yeah. like Cash is starting to make it big and he goes to Detroit's art show and she like clearly still loves him, but she's yeah. like I can't be with you because of what you're becoming. And yes. the movie has a really sharp eye towards you can't separate like who you are from what you do. Absolutely. Yeah, in that scene too, he's like trying to, to justify the fact that he's, you know, I'm just doing this because I have to do it. Like, this is what you wanted. You were with me this whole time. You were riding around with me before. And now you've been like enjoying the kind of wealth that I built up. But now you don't want to like be around me. And for him, he's able to remove the two. But for her, that's something that's super important. I like to her as a human, which was super cool that they like brought that in. Yeah. But we we, unlike Detroit, we do get to see like the inside of the inner workings of the upper echelons of Regal View, and we yes. get to see like those incentives that he is falling to. Um, yes. And that's that's where the movie really starts to get insane. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that just right when the power collar starts. That oh, there's something also I wanted to call back to too earlier. Is how the bosses operate at Regal View. There is a scene when they they get this new boss um, at their job, and they're all kind of sitting along in the row, and she's giving the spiel to them. And one of the lines, I don't know if I wrote it down right, but she's just like, "The world's changing," because he asks, she starts saying like, "We're a family now. I care about you. You're not just employees." And he's like, "Well, are we going to get paid more?" And then she doesn't have an answer. She's just like, "Well, the world's changing. Social capital is a new currency." Who needs money? And it's like you're saying that to people who are like being paid minimum wage, telling them that like, you know, who cares? You know, we can't pay you more, but you know, the world's changing. You don't need money. You know, you'll yeah. be fine. And that was really spot on the way that like 
companies do try to model themselves as like your friend but really if they're not paying you more they're not helping you and Mm -hmm. that actress is kate berlant and she was so funny she was so she was amazing (laughs) yeah i think all the scenes she was in she Oh, yeah, she was really great. Yeah, and then so then he starts doing really well, and he, he gets to the top, and he meets the CEO of Worryfree, who uh, has a relationship with uh, Regalview, uh, Steve Lift, which is the yes. Army Hammer character. <laughs> and that's, that's another one where it's just, like, almost not even satire, because it literally is just how, like, a Silicon Valley frat guy would, would operate, and, like, how he thinks of everything in terms of of profit. Yes. Yeah. They have him down to a T. I think the first scene of him is him doing coke. It's like, all right, there we go. He's in a business suit doing coke at a party. Really set the stage for me. Any any other thoughts on like that part of the movie? Another thing I thought was interesting was how different, how they depict the idea of being a power caller. Like they set it up really well in the beginning. with like talking about it. It's like a rumor. And some of the employees are like, I don't know if that's actually a thing that exists. And then he walks in and you see this like golden elevator. Like that was just so absurd. Yeah, it kind of goes along with like those speeches you were saying about like, do we get paid more? Where it's just like the system is obviously unfair, but the people being exploited by it play into it because there's like the the dangling that there's like this possibility that they could make it up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then the people at the top are able to be kind of like don't have that. They don't feel bad or feel like they have a moral obligation to do anything to help the people at the bottom because it's been like, like you worked for this. It's like this is something you earned. You know, these people still have a chance, but you know, you got to get yours. And when you're at the top, just enjoy it. And like they separate them. So it's like in the building, you don't even get to have to look at the people that are at the bottom. You know, you just do your own thing, do your work, and you're a good employee, and that's it. Don't worry about the people that are struggling. Yeah, and like Keith Canfield, Stanfield's character thinks he did it all on his own, but like his six, like one person's success means that they can just keep ninety nine other people down. Definitely, because it makes it seem like one person could get through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's like a key moment there where, when Stephen Young was leading that protest in Regalview, they bring in like Keith Stanfield to the office, and in that moment they bring him in, and I'm sure that everybody outside during the protest is thinking like, this could be it. He's a really good employee. He could really make a change. But in that moment, that's when they're like, give him the offer to be a power caller. And that just, yeah, completely takes the wind out of any sort of like action that could have happened. The other thing I would say about this part where he's starting to transition to being on the opposite side, I think another another character that's really interesting and crucial to this part is I, he's, he's billed as Mr. Blank, like Mr. Underscore. But yeah, they they just every time they say his name they bleep it out like it's a swear word, uh, which, yeah, is, which is absurd and I don't understand what that means at all. But it was funny. Um, I know I was thinking about that a lot. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. But he's notably the other, the only other black character that we see at like the top of Regalview, and he like always has his white voice white voice on all the time, and he like seems very committed to the cause and but then i think there's one really interesting line where like like he stanfield goes up to him at the party he's like like this is like i don't know um and he says we don't sit around and cry about what should be we just thrive in what is so it's just like this mentality of like we can't help the other people it's not going to change we just have to get ours and i thought that was really interesting moment i thought that was super powerful but also painful that was an interesting thing for me. Like the way they bring race into it too is like 
just thinking about it, it's like, where's, how do you make that decision to just like be willing to sacrifice everything for everybody else, right? And Stephen Young's character is like obviously mad at Keith Stanfield for doing that. But then at the same time, like for me as a person that's in a position where I have the ability to sacrifice without having to worry about my like really well-being as a person, is it still okay for me to say that? Like, like Keith Stanfield didn't, it was tough because he needed money to support his uncle, whereas like Stephen Young, they established himself as he's a character who goes around and just does protests. So obviously he has enough money to just like do that. And so it's like, I found myself being like, is he right? But also at the same time, is it okay for him, like a person who's in a place where he has enough money to do that, to like force someone who really is struggling and doesn't have anything to sacrifice what he couldn't? It was tough. Yeah, I think that's why the tension works so well, because you can recognize the struggle from both sides. Yeah, and there's a lot of tension. They really play it up. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I would just say as a side note, Stephen Young, also very, very good. Oh my gosh, I just, kind of side 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 note, I saw him in Burning recently. Oh, I, I appreciate I really need to watch that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And he's so good. He plays, I mean, his character's not similar, I guess, but he gives off the same smugness. And he does it so well. Yeah. And he's fantastic. The movie's good. Steven Young's just, ugh, what a beautiful person. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we won't get into the ending of the movie and the details about that, because I don't want to give that away. But what, what, were, what were like the overall lessons you got from this movie and how it differs from the other movies we've talked about? I think, hmm, like the uncertainty that still lies there. Like you talked about before, the kind of, oh, wait, actually, there is one thing mm-hmm. that I did want to talk about before is how you thought the examination of, like, Detroit's art, that whole structure, how they did that and, like, what you got out of that. Because that's another side of the movie where they kind of focus on how she takes on, like, political and resistance. There's a scene of her spray-painting a wall, um, but then later on in the movie she gives her show, and it sets up for this, you know, she's, like, super radical, and they talk about it. And um, it's, like, always talking about, uh, you talked about earlier, like, being ashamed of Cassius and not wanting to be with him anymore because of decisions he's made. But then later on at the show, she gets up there to start performing and she kind of has a white voice of her own that she puts on. And that was a moment that hit really hard. She gets up, she, he, he goes to the show and she's just talking in a British accent, which is wild. What did you think of, I guess, that whole scene and like her art and how all of that developed? Yeah, I never, I didn't really think about that, but that's really interesting. And she, she definitely is kind of performing and putting on a different persona in that moment. I think it's interesting how the movie kind of sets it up as like she's the pure, like purely motivated one, where it's like you're conflicted, but I have my art and my art is good. But then in that moment, it's kind of unclear, like who her art is for or like, what she's accomplishing with it so it kind of it kind of raises the complexity of her character because before she was just like the foil to him and now it's like we we have maybe a little more fuzzy understanding of her yeah and that's something i think that i took away from the movie is like the fuzzy understanding of everything as opposed to the other movies I don't know, like Snowpiercer, and there is a lot of, like, just distinct, like, oh, this is what this movie's saying, and this is really easy to see, but there's a lot of fuzziness in this movie. A lot. 
and a lot of complexity with the characters that's revealed over time and it's really hard to like come away with a definitive feeling i don't know if you had anything that you really thought really like stuck with you or like a big message that you gained though yeah i think that is one of the big things about like at the end of the movie it's not completely clear how much things have changed like there, there's been like a resistance to this like massively fucked up system but they're probably still mostly living under this massively fucked up system, but they just have a completely different mindset at the end than they did at the beginning. They just have a purpose in fighting back against that. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. I definitely feel that. Because this one's kind of like some of the other movies were like Snowpiercer very clearly like, this is bad. But <laughs> this, one, this one is much more of a call to action than some of the other ones. Yeah. Totally agree. They come away really, and uh, Cassius's character, his mindset, totally, you know, it flips uh, from the beginning to the end, and it's kind of cool because the scenes are almost, they like mimic each other in their positioning, location, um, and like even what they're talking about, but him as a character, like, he ends with a lot more um, hope yeah. and like drive to, to, to have action. One of the lines I, I really like at the end was i i think it's it's steven young's character i think talking to cash and uh jermaine fowler's character and he says if you get shown a problem but you have no idea how to control it then you just decide to get used to the problem and so i guess that's the that that was like my key takeaway of the movie is like don't get used to the problem mm-hmm. absolutely i didn't think about that that's a really good quote i totally agree with that like find some structure to, you know, attack whatever system is there, which is very timely. Like, the complacency of being like, oh, this is complex and this is the way it is, so... Yeah, and it's so hard, but... It's really I th- hard. I think it threads an interesting needle, because it, it's also, like, you don't necessarily have to actually change everything. You just have to... You should just want to try. Yeah, do everything, I guess, in your sphere of influence that you can. Yeah, it felt like a very community-oriented movie which maybe comes in with it being a millennial, where it's like, community action! And lots of people working together to fight the system. 